Welcome back to the Interior Analysis Podcast. I am your boy, Jelani Kelly. And I'm Evan Westman. And we're talking about the Avatar Season 3, the the finale of the show today. Uh, Evan has never seen it before. If you've seen, if you listen to other episodes, you probably know that. But we're back. This is the end of it. Uh, we might start because Korra's on Netflix. Oh, it is. That, yeah, I just found that out as soon as I finished the show. Like, it was like, okay, the show's over, and then it said next next to watch. Like, you know how it recommends the show oh, yeah. after you finish one. The Korra was on that. I was like, wait, what the hell? That has four seasons. But that that might be something to look out for. I've actually never seen Korra. I think I saw all of season one and then started season two. I was, like, following it as it was airing on TV. And then it kind of fell off because I probably had homework or something like that. <laughs> so, um... I've heard that when the general consensus is it's not quite as good. Of course um, it wouldn't be. It does have a pretty high bar to clear. Mm-hmm. Like... I mean, it's a little bit like making the Hobbit after Lord of the Rings, but I'm I'm guessing they didn't go full Hobbit on it. And... I don't think so, from what I've seen, no. Yeah, I I haven't heard anything like that. It's just a very hard act to follow. Right. Like if it was a standalone, it'd probably be just as good. But because it's in the shadow of the mm-hmm. show, yeah, that's, that's yeah. It's like it's like the Godfather three. I haven't seen that, but like. People are like, oh, The Godfather 3 is terrible. I would expect it's, like, fine, but it's up against what's considered to be, like, the two greatest movies ever by some people. So, mm. it's it's not not a fair comparison. Alright, so, let's start off with your reactions. Overall, just big reaction is, I loved this series. You goddamn right you did. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd expected it to be good. I think I've said this on at least one of our other two. Like, I expected it to be good, and I'm going to say it exceeded my expectations in certain ways. It's just, I I can't believe that a kid's show this good is, like, allowed to exist. I know that maybe is a weird way to say it, but that is, that's basically my feeling toward it. And I think I've said this before, but thank you for sharing this with me, because this was, like, such a good show and i'm hoping i can return the favor with something you're i don't welcome. know what you're welcome but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah this was this was really great mm-hmm. um season three probably my favorite season yeah. I, I'm, yeah it was it was my favorite season yeah although like my real answer to like favorite season is you could take 20 episodes from all of them and make like an ultimate one because it wasn't like I enjoyed one part of it better exactly. It was just like I, I think it was that the there were less one offs and less villages this mm-hmm. season and like those episodes are fine, but I I think looking back at it, the like more episodic ones where it's just like here's a village, here's a problem, we're gonna solve it, that wasn't really what I liked about this show. Um, mm-hmm. not that they were bad, but I was never really that here for it. And there was less of that this season. I don't know if you had like specific things cause I, I had like other general reactions, but I don't know if we want to save those for later. Well, I got a couple questions for you. Okay. 
Uh, favorite character during this season? Zuko. He had a lot to do this season. His his arc felt really earned, really organic. I should warn. I'm gonna use the word the term "earned" a lot this episode because it's it kind of encapsulates everything that I think is good about this show. But yeah, he was. Um, I'm gonna change your name from Evan to Earn. Yeah, let's uh, let's hold off on that for a little change. bit. Um, Give me a birth certificate. <laughs> if I'm gonna change my name, it's gonna be something else. I don't know. But yeah, he was the best for this season. I feel like he almost overshadows Aang in terms of, like, how much attention they give him. Like, yep. yep. And, yeah, it's it was this was very generous to him, but time well spent. They did a lot, and I was very here for what they had with him this season. Is he your favorite for this season, too? He is. Uh, he's also my favorite overall, but that's the next question we'll get to in a second. I loved it when he joined the group. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only because he completed the group as the only firebender, but his edginess being brought to the table went well comedically with everyone else's bubbliness over the It top. was kind of grounding, yeah. Yeah. The fact that he would yell here and there, I found hilarious. Like, for no reason, like, Aang would just ask a question. He's like, shut up! <laughs> also, he had adventures with the three main. They kind of skipped out on top, and I'll dive into that a little bit. I was kind of disappointed in that. I hadn't even noticed that. Yeah, that is... And they they even call it out, though. She's like, you all got a a side quest with him. I want one. Yeah. They never... The show never gave time for that. Yeah. But the others still had things to do and develop as characters, where maybe Toph didn't. Like, we kind of got everything we needed from her as a character in season two, I felt. Um... So, we, yeah, we kind of knew everything there was to know about her. Like, there was nothing haunting from her past besides just pretty much her parents treating her like a child the entire time. But, yeah, Zuko. Uh, so, your favorite throughout the entire series? Toph. I was going back and forth a little with Zuko and Toph, but, like, I, I mean, in terms of, like, who's the better constructed character, it's Zuko, but Toph is just so fun to watch, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. with everything so it, it's kind of hard for her not to be my favorite yeah i'm I'm not gonna try to justify it toph is my favorite bro <laughs> she can bend three elements and she's not the avatar mm-hmm. earth metal and then sand i forgot she did that thing with the sand on the on the beach when they were effing around yeah and zuko started trying to kill Aang. yeah she said i've been working on my sand bend. i was like wait what you couldn't even see on sand before, but now you now you're bending it, bro. You you the avatar part too. That makes sense though, because like I think from like where she grew up, there wouldn't have been a lot of sand around. But then spending some time in the desert, and then they're going from they're kind of island hopping this season. Mm-hmm. They would have gone to probably several beaches. She's probably getting more accustomed to it. I think it. I don't think it was necessary to do that, but she didn't it do makes anything sense. With it, but yeah. yeah, she didn't do anything with it. So my favorite, of course, Zuko. I think it was tough as a child, like my brother and I used to court her a lot. But he had several back and forth across the entire series with good and evil. But Ara mentions how his grandfathers were Roku and Sozin. You, you caught that, right? I mean, yeah, it I did. Pretty, it's a pretty big moment. It was just like, yeah, but 
grandfather on your mother's side was Avatar Roku. Yeah, that was a, that was a big moment. The people responsible for the Fire Nation's rule now more Sozin than Roku, like 100% Sozin. But it makes me wonder why it didn't affect Zula, if, uh, Zula, if that's the case. Why she was never really good in any way besides good at being mm-hmm. bad. Why she never had the internal struggle, like why it was only Zuko. Yeah, I want to get into that a little bit more later. I was trying to remember who was the older child. I forgot Zuko was the oldest, but... Yeah, but Zula they're was... they're pretty close in age, it seems like. Zula's so. 14, probably 15 by the end of this season. Zuko's 16, 17. Uh, but I also like Zuko because Fire is my favorite element. I've said it on the other two episodes, and I said it here. So what are you going to do about it? You can't do nothing. I also tend to lean towards the good-slash-bad anti-hero-esque characters. He's not really an anti-hero because he never really, like, kills anyone anti-heroes normally kill people at some point but he pretty much you know fit the bill like he was the non-goody goody character like oh we gotta we gotta save these people no he was just straight up like to Aang, you, you gotta kill my father bro like there's no other way around it mm-hmm. but yeah zuko for the win but toff pretty much like right there if i didn't like anti-hero characters they'd pretty much be the same for me and like i said toph was my favorite as a child so yeah i mean it's it feels like they're just kind of the the two best like not no shade to the other characters but there's so much to like about both of them shade bending okay that sounds really cool actually (laughs) like bending darkness Mm-hmm. That's that. That sounds really cool. Favorite season three episode. Favorite season three episode. I'll give an actual answer as Day of Black Sun Part One: The Invasion. I really liked that one. Why Part One in particular? It felt more epic than Part Two. I think mm. um, Part, part two, two was kind of yeah, where they everything were fell apart. Yeah. Part one was like bringing together like all four elements in a big battle the in tanks. a way that was really cool. Yeah, the tanks. I loved the tanks and the then, earth tanks where they were just and the moving submarines. along like inchworms. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was really creative and something we hadn't really seen before, or maybe we had in season two a little bit, but not in like a battle. That was really cool. There was some good tension. Like that was a really good blend of like it was a a battle episode but there were also a lot of really good character moments in it with katara and sokka's father getting hit i i was not sure he was going to make it out of that episode alive i i think throughout the show i kind of was being a little generous with like thinking that characters would die like i I think it's because i watched game of thrones before seeing this and and like from watching that i'm just so tuned into like anyone can die and that is not really the case in this show like iroh could kick the bucket at some point so one of the main characters might die hell ang might die before he fights the fire lord i mean i was pretty sure none of them would die but like it, it seemed like adults could die and like katara's mother starts the show dead obviously that's not quite the same thing like just because you have a dead character at the beginning that doesn't always mean that someone you have time to get attached to will die but 
I was speculating whether their father would die, especially in that episode. So that was good. And I also like there was good tension with it because I was like, I know this is going to go wrong, but I don't know how. Really, really good battle scene there. Also, that was when Zuko started, I guess, started completing his arc where he was like, okay, I'm now fully committing. I am leaving the Fire Nation and starting and I'm going to go join the Avatar. I don't remember whether that happened in that episode or part two, but like... I think it was two. It may have like straddled both of them. But, I mean, really, like, my favorite part of this season and maybe the whole show was everything from that episode with the invasion to the fire bending masters. So, like, both the invasion episodes, the Western Air Temple where Zuko joined them, and then when he and Aang learned firebending, that that was my favorite section of the show. Mm-hmm. Hello. Uh, Zuko here. I'm, I'm going to want to talk about that episode a little more later i think what was your favorite one the beach i've always liked the beach episodes in general and they're pretty much a staple in shonen like anime battle action anime i don't like may as a character um i don't like her as a character i don't think i did as a child either she's like the only part of the episode i didn't like she was moody the entire time and zuka i was like Yo, Zuko's trying his best, and you over here, like, you BSing right now, bro. It was interesting to uh, to see Azula trying to be normal, like, not a princess, but she kind of failed at that, but it was funny. I was wondering whether they were going to do anything else with that, because when I saw that in that episode, I was thinking, like, maybe they're going to have some kind of an arc with her, where, like, she's not like fully drinking the um fire nation kool-aid and like being genocidal like her ancestors were but they kind of left it at what they did in that episode that was kind of the only time we saw her acting outside of her normal over-the-top villainous persona yep this episode also revealed the past of the quote-unquote villains without flashbacks so we got to know who May and Ty Lee were, like why they are the way they are. I mean, we kind of knew with Zuko and Azula through the flashbacks earlier in the show, but um, here we got to know about the other two a little bit more. Azula, you saw she kind of just accepted who she was. She was just like, my own mother thought I was a monster. She was right of course but it still hurt like i was like oh okay you you know you're evil you good with it <laughs> like oh okay like i have respect for her right there and then they went back to the party and destroyed everything homie uh homie's parents had obtained so yeah that was like that obviously wasn't among my favorites like i said but i think it did play an important part with those characters and like humanizing them more because mostly we even from tylee and may we had really only seen them in like action scenes fighting the main trio Mm -hmm. there was a little bit more than that but mostly it was like we didn't get a whole lot of like character moments with them and it was good to take a little time with that 
villains go on vacation. Did mm. you know that? Because they went on vacation, Evan. Yeah. All right. Uh, any any more reactions before we get into? I don't have a whole lot for the themes and topics. We pretty much have talked about it throughout the entire season. There's not much more to talk about there. But um, any more reactions? Just for like this season compared to the other ones, I thought the individual episodes got a little less predictable and more engaging. I thought like the character conflict had like stronger themes to it in this just kind of in general like it would start off and there would be a conflict and i'd be like oh i don't really know where this is going like um which wasn't the case in the other ones in earlier seasons i was kind of like okay they're it's probably gonna end up like this and i usually was able to predict it that was not really the case as much this season so i liked that also something i appreciated was you can feel how all the characters in the main cast have really matured i think especially sokka and katara and i mean it's more explicit with zuko but i think there were a few points where i was kind of like oh this is really not like season one katara here and they never really hung a lantern on it like they never had a moment where it was like i don't think you're the same person that broke ang out of that iceberg which like is something that so many freaking movies have if you like i don't think this is the same man that knocked on my door 10 days ago or whatever i'm like i mean i'm, I'm kind of surprised because like you could get away with that in a kid's show and mm-hmm. props to them for not taking that time also like there's not really a character who would say that because the like the only ones who have been with them throughout this are themselves yeah Sokka wouldn't say nothing like that it's weird he's been without been with her his whole life and then Aang he would never even try to I don't even know if that'd come off as insulting but the fact that I'm questioning if it would Aang wouldn't say it yeah, and, but I think in any case, like, the resistance to include that is important because, you know, none of these characters have, like, a full 180 arc, at least Zuko does, but... A couple um, of times. Like, the main three, yeah, the main three don't really, but you can really feel that, like, they've grown a lot mm-hmm. throughout this show, and I I liked that. I liked that it was subtle, but I liked that they included it. Everything else, I'll save for when we get into other parts of it all right let's get into themes and topics i kind of kept to the same ones we've been focusing on on the other seasons betrayal destiny and parallels and world building more on world building other than than betrayal and destiny and parallels because we've kind of beaten these to death now by now now it's the betrayal uh, it's the villain's turn to be betrayed that's the only betrayal we really see throughout this season, Zuko betraying the Fire Nation. He's like, yo, Dad, I'm going to join the Avatar, and I'm going to help him kill you. And Dad's like, how dare you? And then Zuko kind of just walks out on him after bending the lightning back at him. And so does Mei and Tai Lee. And I might as well ask this question now. Is her heel turn on Azula surprising? Because I forgot, like, when my, Mei and... Azula were squaring off on the top of that blimp in the boiling rock, and they're about to, Azula's about to cook her. Ty Lee hit, I was like, oh, shoot, wait, who saves May right here? I forgot. And then Ty Lee hit her. I was like, oh, wait, I completely forgot she betrays Azula. 
Oh, damn. And then they were both arrested. It's not as much betrayal as season two. Season two was the peak of betrayal. Because yeah. that was, you know, the whole spy espionage thing. Cool. But it was still a little relevant. Um, you know, like I said, with the villains being betrayed before, the villains were getting all the re- recruits. And now, now, that, now they weren't. Yeah, well, I mean, to answer, like, did I think Ty Lee's Mm -hmm. heel turn came out of nowhere? Like, I mean, no, it didn't come out of nowhere, I guess. Mm -hmm. But they didn't really justify it with anything. I didn't bump on it, but I don't think I... It didn't feel like it had to happen. It didn't feel earned. Mm. But I I didn't think it was a problem. Like, I was fine with it. And I, I think it makes sense, you know... Ty Lee basically in that moment has to choose who she's siding with and she sides with May. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't think there's anything inconsistent about that. They just didn't do a ton of setup with it. Like mm-hmm. they didn't present it as like, oh, if I have to choose between these two, who will I choose? Like they never presented that question before, but you know, in that moment she's presented with a choice and she commits. Mm-hmm. So I I'm okay with it. Word. Uh, did you have anything else on Betrayal before we move on? No, just to kind of, like, I kind of said the same thing you did in a different way. Like, there's still Betrayal, but it's kind of more of a positive thing, where it's, like, betraying people who, like, the characters should not be siding with. Mm-hmm. So, that was pretty much my view of it for this season. Word. All right, Destiny and Parallels. Katara and her father, um... And then Zuko and his father in the first episode. I mean, Katara and her father were kind of going through it because she was upset that she left them in Southern Water Tribe. But then now I'm completely blanking on what the hell Zuko was talking about with his father. I think he was accepting him because that was the awakening. Probably. It it may not have been in that exact episode, but there was... They had a reunion, and it was kind of like mm-hmm. Zuko is not banished anymore. Yeah. So that was the only parallel I focused on. But uh, Zuko eventually joining the group. I mean, you called it you, Destiny. Yeah, I wasn't sure it was going to happen, but I was hoping it was. Because I was, I was wondering if they were going to save his turn for like the very end. I'm glad they didn't. Mm. But that is something like I was kind of expecting them to do like a Darth Vader at the end of uh, Uh. Return of the Jedi where like Mm -hmm. he it takes like until that point for him to turn against the was it Palpatine in that moment. I'm really glad they didn't do that like no shade to that moment in Star Wars but that would not have worked Mm -hmm. here. And then this doesn't really even have anything to do with Destiny, but Katara finding her mother's killer, that was a a thing. You know, that's not something I expected to happen. Growing up, like, oh, wait, I completely forgot. Well, I didn't completely forget the mother was dead, but I didn't think it'd come back up as a plot mm-hmm. point. And then, you know, the ultimate Destiny parallel, everything coming to a head, and... And beat the Fire Lord like he was supposed to. Like every character in the show was telling him he needed to do. He beat him. Mm-hmm. Without killing him, which was I thought it was pretty creative the way they found or the way um he beat him without 
killing him. Really creative. But, like, this is Deus Ex Machina. It felt like watching it back. That didn't happen until the very, very end of this season. It's like, oh, how are we going to have Aang? Like, maybe he should actually kill Farlow. Nope. We're on episode 19. And I think he should just take his bending. Oh, how are we going to do that? Well, lion turtle spirit. Word. Well, do you think that was, like... I I guess looking at it now, do you think that was too convenient? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I felt kind of the same initially, because I was kind of like, oh, this wasn't set up. Like, he now can just randomly do this. Oh, that's a little weird. But in thinking about it over the past few days, I am actually okay with it. And here's why. Prior to that fight, there were... I think at least one, maybe two full episodes, maybe it might've even been three full episodes where Aang is going back and forth with, can I kill the fire Lord? Like, should I do that? Is it the only way to stop him? And he spends so much time deliberating over Mm. that. And the show presents a lot of different takes on it. And like, that was my favorite thing about, the ending was how long it spent with that. And I really didn't know what it was going to do because I was thinking like with all the avatars that he's talking to who are like kind of a big source of wisdom in this show, they're all basically telling him you need to kill the fire. Lord. Mm -hmm. It's the only way to stop him. And there was just so much around that choice that I think was great because we see that like, Aang obviously can't let the Fire Lord's plan go through, like, it's literal genocide, so, like, (laughs) he can't just let that go by. However, he does have this belief of, I'm not, like, I can't kill people, like, that's not, that's not what I believe in, and, like, you you feel that, but then all the avatars are telling him, like, I, I think one of them says something like, selfless duty requires you to sacrifice your own spiritual needs. So, like, I was wondering if the deal with it was, does he have to um, put aside, kill the Fire put Lord aside. and live with that guilt? Yeah, put and that's, his like, his burden? Mm-hmm. And that would have, like, I would have been surprised at that, but I would have been okay with it. Like, that is, that's a take. Mm-hmm. Like, because sometimes that, like, that's basically a big conflict of the Dark Knight, where Batman also has a no-kill rule. And Batman's the, stupid, like, Go ahead. Sorry, I hate it. Yeah, I know you don't Joko like it, but like killing that... millions upon billions of people daily, and this guy's like, "But my code." Sorry, go ahead. But I think that's one of the greatest things about that movie, though, and like it really, like I felt that same vibe here. Is like because in that in the Dark Knight, a big conflict is like the Joker makes Batman's like biggest moral high ground thing his biggest weakness too, and I was wondering like does ang just have to live with killing the fire lord is that what his duty is or does he not kill him and like i I wouldn't have expected him to like suffer the consequences of that but it's still kind of a take that the show is doing and as that was happening i was like i don't think there is a middle ground because we have seen throughout this show like from pretty much right from the start you cannot imprison a bender for 
long mm -hmm. at all. All of them have escaped. And they even showed it with Katara. Yeah. Tough and the thing in this season. And yeah. Iroh and mm -hmm. I, I think Aang maybe gets imprisoned at one point and then Swole Iroh. We'll yes, yeah, Oh my god, Swole Iroh. <laughs> um but yeah, like you can't just imprison the Fire Lord. Like he's gonna there's no way they could stop him. So He'll come up with some BS like, Oh, I can I can heat superheat this metal and then it'll melt the bars. Like, exactly right. like he yeah. would have he would have gotten out so because ang spends so much time on that choice and he can't figure out what to do i think it does make sense that he would have found a way to come to that middle ground and it's a risk like he almost dies doing that so i was here for it uh, at the end of the day i wasn't initially like fully here for it but on on looking at it I think it really was like the thematic meat of that ending. No, nah, so. I wanted to see that four element drill drilled through the Fire Lord's skull in that last second he stopped doing it. I, like, I would I have been here for that too, but I I think it would have been an acceptable thing for the show's take to be, yes, in this one case, like kill the Fire Lord because it's it's saving a lot of people. But I get their resistance to that. And I think this is like it's it works within the world. I think like I'm I'm good with that ending. It may not have been as epic as I wanted it to be, but it has a strong theme to it, so I think that is the better choice. I think it's just Batman. I think it's just Batman with superpowers. You like him better than you like Batman though, so way that? more. Like I don't, I don't even like Batman. I like Aang. So, so for Batman to beat the Joker, all he needs to do is take away his jokiness, and that's it. <laughs> that's it. Easy. I don't know that... why Batman hasn't done that. Eighty years in comics, and this guy is just like, but what do I do? <laughs> I, I, I don't. I think you just yeah. misunderstand him. But we we will talk about the Dark Knight trilogy just, at some point. Just wipe the face paint off, and that's it. He'll stop <laughs> killing people. Would, would that that could it were that simple just take away someone's makeup and they're spraying with a totally hose different person spraying with a hose just something that i liked with this that i think a lot of other series do is all of the like bad decisions and bad things that happen in the show we feel the consequences of those like mm -hmm. there's a tendency i think when you have such a like big scale thing when it gets to the end of it it kind of feels like oh all of that suffering or like death that happened like it kind of happened for a purpose i don't think there was a sense of that in this one you don't feel like zuko needed to do all those bad things in order to like defeat the fire lord like that wasn't necessary like if if he had stopped hunting Aang at any point prior to the point that he did, any point before then is, like, him making a better choice. Mm -hmm. The events of taking down the Fire Lord didn't require him to do all that, which I think I think some other stories kind of try to justify it a little bit, like, um, like in Endgame. There was a point to this? Well, sort of, because, like, in, in Endgame, the two, well, three characters that die at the end of that are i think vision 
uh, Black Widow and Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason, like, their deaths are very justified. Like, you can't... Yeah, you, like, there was a could... point to them dying. Oh, well, sorry, yeah, I, like wasn't, they... I wasn't asking before, is there a point to what you're saying? That's not, I was, that's not what I was saying. I just realized oh, how I that sounded. I didn't pick up on that. Um, yeah. No, yeah. it's just, it's, it's just, there's no, they couldn't have defeated Thanos if the three of them hadn't died. And, mm-hmm. like, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying that's a that's a wrong choice but i did Just like that yeah it's not it's not as if all of this that happened in the show was according to some cosmic plan or mm-hmm. anything like it didn't have to happen this way and it would have been like there's like there's no better piece that is brought about by this like if ang had not run away a hundred years ago you know there's ambiguity to it but it's not as if things are better this way than they would have been if he'd done that like mm-hmm. it doesn't try to make meaning out of that which i i appreciate all right world building lion turtle spirit kind of touched on this before even though the spirit world has been established watching it back now it, to me it felt like a deus ex machina because it happened in the final episodes like they couldn't started like at least midway through the season with this because like like you said he was battling with it like especially mainly that whole episode the nightmares and daydreams one mm-hmm. where appa and momo were talking um that was so trippy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it kind of felt last minute like like ang was struggling how to beat the fire lord without killing him and the script was like here you go, we're gonna start chanting at you, and then you're gonna come to this island, and you're gonna wake up on the island, and you're gonna be like, whoa, how did I get here? Uh, did a machine of a god bring me here? God, god <laughs> machine, get it. Yeah, I got, um, I got you. <laughs> here, here's a way of, out of having to kill the Fire Lord, so you can save the world, but also preserve your humanity, and not feel guilty. I mean, it is a kid's show, so that probably was the best way to end it but if there was anything like the adult thing that you wanted it to be or he definitely would have killed him and i wanted to see exactly what that four element drill attack would have done to somebody like it was sharp at the end but there was like water and rock and air the only thing that probably would have affected him was the fire but i don't know i don't know what would have happened evan and and it's bothering me to this day. I I um, would have liked to see that too. Yeah, um, but they probably would have had to not show it because it's a kid's show. Right. I I was wondering like before that whole lion turtle thing, I was wondering how they were going to show his death and exactly how the fire lord would have died. Like maybe they would have just went the classical Disney kids movie route where the villain falls to their death. And oh, I would have been so pissed if they had done that. <laughs> like that, you can't. Like that is killing your villain in the wrong way. Like it works for Disney movies, but if you have somebody like Fire Lord freaking Ozai who can who, fly, exactly, you can't knock him off a cliff and act like it's a good ending. <laughs> oh my god, I wasn't even thinking of that. That would have been so bad if they'd done that. <laughs> The dude could fly. He has fire feet, fire jet fire feet, and if he would have, yeah, that would have been that would have been so stupid. But it didn't do that. So so yeah. it, um, there isn't much world building beyond this, though. Like 
we already knew the spirit world was a thing. So like I said, as to be expected of the third season, like it's wrapping everything up. So there's not much world building left for it. Everything should have been established. Also, how cool was it that the uh, firebending masters were were dragons? That was, I uh, was really hyped when that happened. That was cool. yeah. It was like if you're watching it for the first time, I was trying to imagine like what kind of masters human because you're expecting them to be human, obviously. Mm-hmm. What kind of human masters does it take? Why are people chanting for them to come out? Yeah, that, that was that was really cool. And they're living in like caves. So I'm like, okay, maybe they're like old wise guys you know sensei type living alone away from society and all that and then there was two dragons so yeah were you expecting that i was not um also they i think had established that dragons were killed off but i think i think a couple episodes before it had shown the uh with the sozin and uh oh yeah the avatar and the roku yeah mm-hmm. backstory and i was like ah oh, now i want dragons in this show because now they've like set up the dragons can be in this world and i want dragons well they they established it before remember they roku's did but they were all spirits been... yeah um, okay yeah so i was like maybe it's just a spirit Dragon thing spirit. Mm-hmm. um i i still kind of want more dragons uh the world needs more dragons evan yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that they should have included more dragons, but I would have been here for more dragons. How cool would it have been if, like, Momo was, like, a mini dragon instead of a lemur? I mean, then you I basically have Mushu tagging along with them, which... Is... Momo can't talk! You yeah. expect the dragon? The dragons can't talk. Yeah, but, like, you can't have a small dragon that isn't Mushu, because then that's just kind of, like, lame. Unless it's like in Game of Thrones where they grow and you're like, okay, they're small now, but they're gonna get bigger. So like, you at least have an expectation of it being cool. What if Appa was a dragon, Evan? If Appa was a dragon, like, uh, yeah, Appa as a dragon would have been pretty cool. But obviously, you can't really have that because he, he, then like, how would he and Aang have been, been separated? Yeah, he would have just burnt those sandbenders to a crisp. I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say how would they have been, like, oh. together to begin with because, like, flying bison are with uh, the air nomads. So that yeah, that's true. That wouldn't have worked. Do you have more on world, bu- world building? No, you can finish with your points on it. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I saw with world building this season was they did a little more with the bending, um, which yeah. I liked, especially because they did a few things, like, the metal bending thing they did with Toph last season, I wondered if that was going to be a one-off, because I was, I think I may have mentioned this nope, last episode. pretty darn prevalent in this one. That was, well, no, I knew she was going to keep metal bending, but when they kind of brought up that, like, there are different nuances where, like, earthbenders can't normally do metal, and I liked that they had that moment, like, I'd been waiting for a while for a waterbender to bend sweat or like human water and they did both those things this season with katara bending her sweat at the mm-hmm. one point and then blood bending that which was so cool episode i thought the blood bending thing was really cool and also like the way they incorporated it because of course it's like pretty messed up that like you can control someone with water bending also though like water bending is not as lame like you're saying it is if you can blood bend like, that was only that's... during the full moon, though, Evan. 
How often does the full moon come out, Evan? Frequently enough. They, they said it only during the full moon, Evan. It's hmm? for like... Yeah. What is mm-hmm. it? Uh, I don't know, 10% yeah, I, of the time? I'm over That's here sh- flying with fire from my feet and shooting lightning. And you're over there moving people around while while er- there are other people turning into werewolves. Like, yeah, where you at? I'm just, I'm just burning. I'm, I'm sticking with my identity as a waterbender. But I, I liked how they incorporated the, the bloodbending. We'll get into that a little more with Katara when we talk about her. But yeah, bloodbending was a cool thing to add. Also with firebending, I liked that they spent that, the episode learning about firebending and showing yeah. that it's fire is life. It's not just destruction. And you can't be afraid of it like Aang is at the beginning. Like that was all. That was all really good. Mm-hmm. Were characters Aang? Yep. The main, the Avatar boy. Were characters Aang? Yep. The main, the Avatar boy. Awesome fight scene at the end. That's not even part of his character. Well, he was the one doing it, but like seeing him use all the elements in ways we've never seen them be used before like when he split up that one like rock and shot the pebbles across that whole rock canyon area and was like tearing down those pillars with the pebble size version of that like bro yeah bro all all of it all of all of what he was doing in the finale as avatar not as normal ang but avatar ang with the elements floating around him in that sphere yeah well even before that too i really liked that even before he went into the avatar state in that fight he was moving between all four elements in that fight pretty evenly Mm -hmm. like i do think this show is slightly lacking in bringing characters organically from like i'm kind of struggling with this element to like boom i can use all of it Mm -hmm. like guitar Katara, they did that with Aang. They definitely do that with in a couple of cases. But even so, like, I'd, I'd rather they do that. Because, like, I did really like at face value that in the final fight, he is, like, proficient enough in all four elements that he's bouncing between them and, and taking advantage of it. Because it is a little frustrating sometimes to see him. I mean, character specific, but still a little frustrating to watch him use mostly air when mm-hmm. he has all four at his disposal and mm-hmm. i liked that he was employing all four at the end yeah so that was one of the best uh animated fight scenes i've probably ever seen mm-hmm. i feel even though he was taught this or he said he was taught this it was out of a little out of character when he was telling katara not to take revenge for her mother when he's over there trying to struggle with not killing the fire lord, it's like, bro, shut up and worry about your own problems. Let her kill her mother's killer if she wants to. Like, I kind of get where he was coming from. Like I said, he was grown. He grew up as an air nomad monk kid. So, um, I I kind of liked that they did that. I mean, this is kind of more about Katara than Aang, but. I think it played into Aang's thing, too, because at first, when that episode started, I was like, do they really need to, like, bring up this wound with Katara now? It feels a little bit like they didn't need to do that. But then they tie it back in at the end with, can you kill the Fire Lord? 
And I, mm-hmm. I liked that they did that, but also like, you know, there's a, a phrase that one of my professors who I have class with right now has been using a lot, which is no one can tell you how to grieve. And I think that I was thinking of that as I watched that episode, I was like, you know, this maybe is irrational, but like, she feels how she feels with this. Mm-hmm. And like, no matter what anyone else says, like, they can't invalidate that feeling. So I liked that. And also like that it it goes all out with it. It's not as if it's like, oh, I'm like still sad. She is so pissed in that episode and like full yeah. blood bending that guy. Like she wants to kill him. Bro, she stopped. She stopped the rain, Evan. She stopped the rain, then froze it, and yeah. then almost killed him with icicles from the rain. Bro, come on. Yeah, that was maybe one of my favorite things with Katara this season. I, I guess just to tie it back to Aang, since that's who we're on right now, though, like, I think that did factor into his arc. Like, Katara doesn't kill the guy in that episode, but I think you still get the sense that, like, if she did, like, that's going to leave a mark on her. Mm-hmm. And I think that really plays into the whole conflict that Aang has, where it's like, if Aang kills the Fire Lord, can he forgive himself? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer might be no. So I liked that. He also feels, I said he feels a lot like a 12-year-old in the season. I think he's probably like 13, 14 by now. But he did feel like a 12-year-old, like his age in the other seasons as well. I'm just now realizing that. But this is like the other side of being... A preteen or tween or whatever the hell you want yeah. to call it, losing sleep over the coming fight and getting super jealous in the Ember Island players of uh, Katara and Zuko, like there was a oh a yeah fake on stage romance thing that I don't even know, and I'll ask that question again later. How the hell the writer of that play got a hold of all of that information on them mm-hmm. and then made that one thing up? And then, you know, playing on the beach when he's supposed to fight the Fire Lord in a couple of days. That was the scene when Zuko started chasing him I know. Him down. There, were, there were so many procrastinating vibes with him in those couple yeah. episodes. It's like... It's like, bro, you got three days to save the world and you're over here building sand castles. Like... I know you're not in school anymore, but right now it's week eight. So, mm-hmm. uh, all my Drexel people, you know what that means. So finals, finals and projects close enough that when he was having those procrastinating vibes, it, it was a, it hit a little too close to home for me. Just oh, for, yeah. for this t- part of the term, I was like, I have I things I should was, do. <laughs> I don't think there was ever a time during my four years in Drexel that I did an assignment super early, like the day I got it. I think yeah. most people don't. Like, yeah. I used to as a kid, like, I used to do my homework in the car on the way home, and sometimes it would actually finish before I even got home from school. I was the same way, but not, and, uh, yeah. And they, they could even give me a project, and I, I'm pretty sure this has happened before, they'd give me a project at the beginning of the thing, of the term, and they're like, all right, that's going to be, by the end of the term, I want this project complete, you're still going to have to come to class and all that. But you don't really have any homework or anything like that. Just do this project by the end of the term, and it, it'll be week eight, and I still haven't started the project. That's oh, maybe dude, don't remind me. I've got like I've got like three of those that I have right now. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's college, though. Time management is important. Everybody <sighs> says this, but nobody effing does it. <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, I've got time. Oh, I've got time. Week five. Oh, uh, what was it? Halfway through? Yep. Still got time. All right. That's Aang. Aang is just a college boy. That's Aang. <laughs> Do you have anything else on Aang? I didn't have a whole lot for most of these characters because we have so many to go through. Yeah. Yeah, not a lot. Just the the only other thing I would say with him, I was really happy for him and Zuko when they mastered firebending in that one episode. I like I that moment Dragons. was I wasn't expecting it to be, but I was like so excited when they like were both firebending. I was like, "Oh yeah, they did it." Like cuz they've been struggling for so long. Mhm. Yeah, that was that was good. And also like I think it did a good job acknowledging like his whole range of emotions we were kind of just talking about that beyond his procrastination vibes too there's like a lot of the first episode of the season where he's like really upset uh having been like just struck by lightning and he's feeling the weight of like (laughs) did that sound weird that sentence well, he's really upset having just been struck by lightning. Guys, I think today, anybody today was would just... Be... I got struck by lightning. Oh, oh <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. I'm not in the best mood. <laughs> I woke up. My house was on fire. I got struck by lightning. <laughs> I didn't realize how that sounded, but I mean, you know... It, it I'm was... pretty sure I drowned at some point. You know, I'm just not in the best mood. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, though. Um, yeah, he, I... <laughs> But, like, they they really acknowledge his emotions well. And even, like, you were saying, like, that moment with the the players, like, they could have just had that as a one-off joke, but they kind of make it hit home for him. And it would. Mm-hmm. Like, it would. That was good. I think they, they did a good job with, you know, he doesn't have an arc, but he's struggling with a lot, and we feel those struggles this season. So that was mm-hmm. good. Ding also on Aang for a move to guitar. Well, if we want to transition from one to the other... I don't know if I fully shipped them at the end of this show, but I liked the timing of them finally kissing at the mm, invasion. Oh, oh, oh. That, oh. like, unlike another couple that we recently talked about, oh, um, no. the, the, their relationship was very earned. Oh, God. Sorry to bring up that wound. I know it's Why? And then I blocked that out of my head, bro. I saw the tweet where you put the episode out and was like, <laughs> we weren't very forgiving. And I was like, no, wait, I don't want to be reminded of that. All right. Oh, I, I apologize, God. but I'm using it to, to highlight how Open the floodgates. They, how these two are worth shipping and in that scene i was like you know went because we'd we'd had the few times throughout the past couple seasons where ang's like struggling to get the words out and i was like i don't need them to like fully get together in this scene but in that moment i was like if they get interrupted i'm gonna be upset because like they always do but they didn't in that one and Uh, i think it would have been tempting to save them like getting together at all until the end and i think in that scene like because in their minds they were like this is the end of the invasion like today is the end of it and Mm. i think the pressure wasn't high enough that ang would have to like admit how he felt before then Mm -hmm. but i would have been really upset if they had forced if they had forced waiting 
for that kiss for a while. Mm-hmm. That's just something that I think could have been done badly, and I think I think they nailed it. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, watching this as a kid through a kid's eyes, you see the two main, the main male and the main female, like interact a lot. You you kind of expect it from how many mm-hmm. movies and shows I've seen exactly like that with the main male and main main female it's like i expected them to get together at some point i as a child i probably would have been disappointed if they didn't by the end a a lot of people actually shipped zuko and katara before i can see that i i didn't see it before re-watching it but now i'm like oh yeah i kind of get it they don't think they should have stayed together maybe grew as characters while they were dating and then separated before the end of the the series but they didn't do that and i'm fine that they didn't do that i probably would have been okay now if they did do that but like i don't really care either way i don't think that would have worked as well mostly i just liked that the relationship between ang katara at every point was earned like both when they are in the friend zone if we want to call it that and when, like, they get out of the friend zone, basically. I know it kind of takes, like, until, like, the very end for that to happen. But mm-hmm. it, it felt earned with them. It never felt forced. Yeah. She was, she was a lot more mother. She was leaderly in the other seasons, especially in the, that desert episode when mm-hmm. Aang was like, I can't even drink water without thinking about Appa. Like, <laughs> She was a lot more, like, <laughs> the motherly thing with, uh, especially in the Runaway episode. They, that's kind of the whole point of that episode. Yeah. She's trying to prove that she can be fun. And the fact that Sokka, that was a cool moment, interesting moment. The fact that Sokka was like, I can't even remember what my mother looked like. When I try to picture my mother, all I can see is Katara's face. He said something along the lines of that. She somehow beat someone with bloodbending who had been training with bloodbending her entire life. And she just says, my bending is more powerful than yours, Hama. Why and how the hell? I was okay with that. I get Hama is old, but we have seen how strong these old people are throughout the series. Boomy, Iroh, Zhang Zhang, Master P and Dao, that whole White Lotus society is made up of old people and they kick ass. So why the hell did Hama get... And she's been... It's not like she was out of practice. She's been sending people to the to the mountain and chaining them up. And Katara's just like, I just learned how to... And, and even Hama said, you should have learned the technique from me before you besi- decided to, to go against me. And then Katara's like, yeah, but guess what? I know it anyway. And started beat... Bro, come on, man. Come on, bro. I didn't have an issue with that, but um, on, I'm man. not going to argue with you. That was a little convenient. The whole bloodbending thing is fantastic, but like the fact that Katara beat her with it is a little crazy. A little, yeah. But I, I like that they included it for her as like a, a new skill and also how she's a little bit resistant to use it. But then, like like we were talking about a few minutes ago in that episode where she takes revenge on her mother's killer wait was that during the full moon did she she blood bent that guy right yeah but that wasn't thing i don't think is necessary it's just stronger then because it's they said all water bending is stronger during the full moon oh damn 
Okay. At least that's I I think that's what they said. But I liked that she pulled it out again only in a moment of anger. Although in in hindsight now I I think it would have been cool for her to use that against Azula. Although it might have been hard to do since um that was kind of that was during Sozin's comet at peak fire bending abilities mm-hmm. for everyone. Her defeating Azula was cool though. I was wondering what they were going to have her oh, do. Oh, the thing with the chains and then her break, yeah. I was afraid they were going to sideline her a little bit in the final battle because I was like, oh, what's she going to do? There's not a whole lot of water around for her to use. But that was a really cool way to beat Azula. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, props to the world building because that was kind of a new thing that we had never really seen any waterbenders do, but it felt totally consistent. Yeah, it felt believable. Her suspicion of Zuko, I liked that. Um, Mm -hmm. That was consistent and good to acknowledge. She was obviously suspicious of him, and it would have been too easy um, if... They just accepted him, yeah. Yeah, and again, I think that's a tempting thing for a kid's show to do, because, like, you can can get away with that in a kid's show, I think, having someone be a little bit more simplistic and like oh i'm i'm good now and everyone's like oh, oh yeah i that, see that, that. Was, you're, that was you're good em- now yeah that was in the ember islands players when he was like i'm going to join you and they were like i guess we have no choice <laughs> yeah oh we're gonna talk about the play later i i think that is kind of what other things like this would do like mm-hmm. we've seen other like kids content characters just kind of turn on a dime and and they'll have some like transformed look to him or whatever and zuko doesn't seem that different and katara is rightly suspicious of him and you Mm -hmm. know eventually like it never that tension is never brought to a head but it's really good that they acknowledge it because it would be too easy and i think she's the right character to have that suspicion so i appreciated that she was definitely more developed as a character during this season than the others. I know you kept waiting for you, but like I still think they're holding back on Katara. She had a lot this uh this season. She had uh touching moments in character development with her father in the first episode. I watched Yes, this... I loved that moment. That was I... that was like and Mae Whitman's voice acting in that scene was so good. Like you really yeah. felt that emotion there. Isn't she's the same actress from the Transformers movies? Isn't she? Like, uh, Mark Wahlberg's daughter? I'm pretty no. sure that's her. No? Oh, no, no, no. You're thinking... You're close there, I think, though, because I, I'm i pretty sure she plays Katara in The Thing We Are Not Going to Name. Oh, um, that's why I was... Mae Whitman is... Okay. Uh, she's in The Duff, and she's um, Evil X number four in Scott Pilgrim. Low-key spoilers. Oh, wait. Which... Roxanne which Richter... The one who's a little bit bi furious. I need to rewatch Scott. I we're gonna rewatch it for an episode because oh, I don't you, understand. You we absolutely why will. Tenth anniversary so, of it was just a couple days ago, I think. Why it's so praised? But I hope you'll open my eyes to see why it's so praised. But as of right now, I don't get it. But that's a topic for another time. Yeah, but another May time. Whitman is really like that's who it is. Yeah. Also, like obviously who picked the better actress like freaking transformers for scott pilgrim even you i think will will agree which of those two is better 
Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. You did not just all right. Man, no, I didn't say we don't anything. have time. I can we do not have time yeah, for yeah, this. Yeah. But mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Uh, right, she yeah. Next? In the first episode she had to touch her moment with her father. I, I actually watched the headband accidentally. For some reason it skipped. I watched the headband first and then went back to watch the awakening and then went to the third episode. Don't know why it happened that way. It did, but didn't matter. I've seen the show. The painted lady with the whole pollution is bad thing. Puppet Master and the Southern Raiders, you know, she had a lot of good episodes this season. And I felt like they treated her better as a character. Like, it wasn't just, oh, hope. <laughs> the play. Yeah. Also with her threatening Zuko when he joined them. Yeah, that was a really, really good moment. She was like, I'll end you permanently. And Zuko was just like word Sokka we gotta keep moving Sokka he had his own episodes as well uh Sokka's master and the boiling rock both one and two still funny and I like him way more as a character now than I did as a kid like that's just I think I said that before a couple of times but like yeah he's he's a hella fun to watch especially with his really bad jokes so, I I must disagree. I don't find him entertaining. No, um, Evan. Look, if you're Transformers allowed to dislike is better than talent... Scott Scott Pilgrim. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. If you're allowed to, to dislike Pintel and Reg- and Rigetti, I'm allowed to not like Sokka. I Wait, still who? like him as a character, though. I think he's he's good in this. I just don't find him funny. All right, that's fair. Yeah, because he's he, he has good moments with like I I liked that they kind of committed to him being like the big picture thinker, always being the one like, hey, we we don't have time to like save this village, we got to do that. That was good conflict too. I I liked that they had those couple moments where it's like, yeah, this is like getting down to the wire. It's season three now. Like, do we have time to go save this village? I don't I don't think we do. And then. This kind of this is mostly coming up in the painted lady one. I liked that there were a couple of acknowledgments of like, you know, we do need to get there. That is kind of priority, but also like, who are we if we don't help these people? Like, mm-hmm. we can't just stand by. I thought that was a good little mini theme that they did. They they didn't have as much for him this season, but one thing that was good with him though, the one where he um gets his sword, like that was all right to acknowledge i think that you know he's like i think we may have even said this on one of the earlier episodes like what's he gonna do when he's got like three of the most powerful benders of his age when they stopped that fire he was just like babysitting momo yeah he feels like and and it would make sense you know that he Mm -hmm. feels kind of useless and it's good that they acknowledge that so yeah i i didn't think there was anything spectacular with him but they they gave him some good moments where zuko you predicted he'd turn good job or you wanted him to turn good job each character had their own adventures with them i feel like tough was kind of snuffed even though they played it off as a joke it was like they just cut to it and it was just like uh yeah even though you know i ran away as a kid i i, I still love my family and, and it doesn't feel like they feel the same way they're just kind of trying to protect me and zuko's like uh-huh <laughs> yeah. yeah they were trying to find ang weren't they yeah maybe yeah i think so they split up to find ang is his heel turn and i've already talked about zuka enough but i only have one more question about him is this to you is his heel turn believable absolutely 
All right. I think absolutely it is. It's It's been building for the entire show. Mm-hmm. And also, one of the things that really sold that was the way he is after his turn. Like, we talked, I think, a bit about the, like, happy Zuko in season two that they have for a oh, minute. And we were God. both kind of like, eh, that's, yeah, like, that was just weird. But this is not, like, good Zuko is not happy Zuko. He's, like, he still feels like him, Thanks. but good yeah he's still angsty he still is like he gets really frustrated when he can't firebend and all that and he brings a new perspective to the group like he disagrees with the other characters still when he's in the group and that's he's that's great like vegeta and goku he's kind of just like hmm, the whole time it's like we got to take everything more seriously uh yeah and i, I love that aspect yeah, well, that was, but that's him. Like he, he's mm-hmm. not, he's not a fun person. It, it would have felt really weird if he all of a sudden was like, I don't know what they would have done with him if he was like surfing next to Katara or something. Like you can't do that. It's Zuko. Yeah. He's not going to do that. But you know, his he still was like fighting for good, and we've felt that conflict with him the whole time. We've seen him go mm-hmm. extreme the other way, where he's reverted to like. And they spent the time with it. I think there was an episode where he was like, I'm back in the Fire Nation. My father accepts me and I don't feel what I thought I would feel. This is, Mm -hmm. I guess this isn't what I want. But it also, like, it wasn't immediate. He wasn't like, oh, this isn't what I want. Now I'm going to go. He was like, this isn't what I want. What the hell do I want? And then it spends a couple episodes with him like, ah, like I'm just in a bad place. And then he commits. I thought his arc was kind of perfect. Did... I believed it, yeah. Okay. Oh, you were just about to ask that, weren't you? Yeah, well, because I, I figured if you asked that, I would, maybe you didn't. But No, 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 I believed it. Okay. Yeah, they, they built up to a way, not even too much, just, just a good amount. Yeah, it was believable. You, everything you said. All right, what else you got on Zuko? I liked having him with the group. Uh, I think we already mentioned that. Him losing his firebending, good beat. Kind of reminded me of Magneto in X-Men First Class where, like, he needed anger to use his power before then and now he's kind of realizing it's not the only way. Oh, when he turned that giant-ass satellite? Yes. Um, and he started that's, laughing. <laughs> that's one of my favorite scenes in the X-Men series. But, mm-hmm. yeah, like it was kind of the same thing with Zuko where he's he's used to being all angry and only that's the only way he can bend and then now that he's kind of trying to get away from that hateful lifestyle he's he has a hard time with it and i i liked that they did that Mm -hmm. because it it gives it gives consequences to his action and that was good him and may Mm -hmm. that was kind of fun initially the the moment that i i think i laughed out loud when it happened when it was i don't hate you i don't hate you too like (laughs) oh you know it's real you know it's real when they say they don't hate you (laughs) that was hilarious and then their conflict in the beach episode was like so perfect like emo couple like we don't want to put labels anything but i swear christ if you're talking to anyone else (laughs) that was that was kind of perfect too he was like what do you think of him what is what is your opinion of him she's like i i barely know him i don't have any opinions like you're like don't you (laughs) That was so fun. I, I don't know if, like, that's... Because I, I think they also spent some time with, like, there might be some real connection there, but also it might be mad toxic. Yeah. You know, they... This is kind of a spoiler, but they don't stay together, like, 
permanently, like... How do we know that? Oh, because of Korra. Korra takes place, like, not even a hundred years. Aang passes away at some point, and then the new Korra is the new Avatar. And there are still some characters from this series alive in that show. So Zuko mentions at some point, maybe during the show, that he broke up with Mai, and he has, like, a new wife. But yeah, they don't they don't stay together. Okay, not shocked. But I would I think there's a scenario where it could have worked. Well, I don't know. I think they made sense as a couple, but also not surprised that they didn't stick it out. Yeah, so if it works, cool. If it don't. Last thing with him for for me, I think the best line from him, at least the one that I wrote down, was in the Air Temple episode. No one can give you your honor. It's something you have to earn yourself by choosing to do what's right. I think that line felt very earned from him. That mm-hmm. felt like something that Iroh could have said. And the fact that he was mocking Iroh or trying to quote Iroh throughout the se- the, the season yeah. and then actually said some stuff like that without even realizing it. That was pretty cool. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, right. but the, yeah, exa- exactly that. I mean, talking about the like, silver sandwich at some point and taking a bite out of the silver sandwich, Evan. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that moment. Yeah, but like that—that that I think felt very earned and absolutely not something that season one Zuko would say. Mm-hmm. Like he equates honor to finding the avatar, finding the avatar, getting back in the good graces of his father, and now he's realizing like after all of this, honor is something that comes from within. And mm-hmm. I think it's better that he said it rather than someone saying it to him. Mm-hmm. But also, if he'd said it, like, at any other point prior to leaving, I think it took leaving for him to, to realize that. But also, I didn't think he was too self-aware. Because sometimes a character will say something wise and you're like, you wouldn't actually say that. And he, I think, would. That was a good moment for him. Um, that's all I have on Zuko, unless you have anything else. Nope, moving on. We're going on Iroh. Um, Swole mm-hmm. Iroh. I don't know how to feel about Swole Iroh. It was Swole Iroh, Evan. That was, that was a little weird. Um, Swole Iroh. What did you think of that? <laughs> it was Swole Iroh, Evan. I, I'm aware of Swole Iroh. <laughs> what, what do you think of Swole Iroh? <laughs> I think he was Iroh and Swole. I don't have any opinion on it, Evan. He was... It will. It is what it it was. He was swole. I that was weird. Um, <laughs> other stuff with him. At least, did, did you have anything else with him? Iro or swole yeah. Iro? Because those are two different people. Let's go with just Iro. Um, <laughs> uh, touching moment between him and Zuko in the White Lotus tent. How he was saying he was never angry at Zuko, bro. I felt. Yeah, I felt that during that moment, bro. Oh, oh, I was like, "Yo, what? I have feeling right now. What is this? I don't, I don't like this." <laughs> and then he's arguably just as strong as the Fire Lord, even though Zuko said he could beat him. Like, oh, even Zuko said he could beat him. Like, yo, just beat your brother. And then he was like, "Nah, Destiny history will look at it like family killing family." If it wasn't for that, Iroh definitely could have taken like killed the fire lord because he said family killing family so i'm like oh iroh iroh would have killed him word he definitely could in his prime i think like when they called him the dragon the dragon of the west iroh 
Not swole. Well, swole Iroh could take down the fire load without fire bending, but <laughs> <laughs> I think he definitely could have taken the fire lord in his prime, especially if they're both heated by Sildan's comet. Mm-hmm. And Ming, the prison guard that treated him nicely, fun fact, was voiced by Serena Williams, who was a fan of the show. Oh, really? As in the tennis player? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Swole Iroh, Evan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Come check out my pics. <laughs> what I the hell? You he he might say that. How much do you lift, bro? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank, Yo, thank when God he said he said one. at the reunion with the white lotus, um, he said, "I'm not that." Oh no, that was at the end. He said, "I'm not that fat. I really trimmed down a bit." I was like, "That was that's another statement, bro. You were jacked." <laughs> yeah. But, other other things with regular Iro though. I actually kind of liked how little we saw of him because I think it mm-hmm. emphasizes how much influence he's had on Zuko throughout the show that Zuko is kind of able to think like, oh, what would Uncle do? And that shows that, like, one, he's played his part, but two, like, Zuko does not need him. So I think both of those things are important. Yeah, he did say in the tent that he found his way on his own. Yeah, and again, that reunion scene was amazing. The voice acting, bro, on point. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing else really with him. The White Lotus group that he was in, they're badass. Um, I liked them. They took down Bossing Say on their own, bro. They were like, y'all trying to take back this Earth Kingdom city? They were like, word. All right, let's get it. Like, how? Well, I know how, but Jesus Christ, four dudes was just like, damn. I mean, I know that I know they had help, but like, still. Uh, anything else on Iro nope. or Swole Iro? Nope. The Melon Lord Toph. Yes. She learned sandbending. That was, I mentioned that earlier. She coated herself in a damn metal door, and was using that as like Iron Man armor to take down a bunch of firebenders. How dope! She's moving like a damn transformer, bro. She was just as cool this season as she was before. I liked that they did have a couple episodes where she was, like, a little irrational. She's causing conflict. The runaway Mm -hmm. one, I liked Mm -hmm. where she and Katara were having the, like, pulling scams conflict. That was cool. And it was also, like, a good organic moment for them where, of course, they're, like, going to come in conflict about it. That was one of my favorites, was that one. Uh, my question was, where the hell did she learn how to scam? Maybe running away a lot as a child, but I can't imagine she was gone for long. I bought it. How the hell? I mean, I I, I also just liked that they had, like, a little crime episode in there, because, like, I like heists. They were scamming the scammers, Evan. Was it really crime? Was it really crime? Well, you know, it, it had heist movie vibes, and I like those. So yes. I liked that one for that. Also, really fun that um, in the play, she's basically played by The Rock. Yo, Her, when he said had he that, had like, supersonic, he sees through supersonic screaming, and then went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> there, I got a good look at you. It was also really funny, I thought, that like she was the only one who was happy with her portrayal there. She was like, alright, like that's me. Yeah, I'm here for it. And everyone else was like, oh, I'm not like that. Mm. That was fun. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot 
in terms of stuff they did with her other than like i still loved watching her do earthbending stuff she didn't have a whole lot of character development besides the runaway episode yeah but i was fine with it still happy to see her on the screen yep anything else on Toph? she is the best that's all that needs to be said where azula i still don't like even as kid i didn't get it but i don't see the point of her breakdown i guess the pressure of becoming fire lord got to her but isn't that kind of what she wanted like what she was working up to and we could explain on that or expand on that in a second but uh she was an awesome villain otherwise smart cunning and powerful was kind of the best traits that make a villain kind of I would have loved it if there was a better reason for her being a monster, though, other than my mother loved Zuko more. Like, she was kind of always just a little a little asshole. Yeah, the breakdown. Why? I felt like that was consistent. I was like, oh, like, this kind of makes sense. She's wanted to be Fire Lord forever, and now that she is, she's, like, too paranoid for it. I, I didn't think it was inconsistent. D- was it necessary? Maybe not, but... Yeah. Did you have more on that? <laughs> no, I'm just confused. I maybe okay. somebody else and if you're listening and you know why she did that, tell us. Okay. Well, my question with her is cuz I feel like she's maybe like I don't want to say like the worst character in this in terms of like being constructed well, but I I actually might believe that, but do you think this show is unfair to her? Like the last thing we see is her like thrashing around in her chains and she maybe felt a little bit too inhuman, a little bit too one note. I thought Mm. like, I think they had room for some nuance with her, but they kind of just had her be generally menacing and evil. And I don't know. It felt like they did kind of that arc with Zuko. And like you're saying, you know, I didn't feel like we needed backstory with her, but I did feel like, you know, we I think we mentioned this last episode, like nature versus nurture with her and Zuko. Like, why is one so full on evil and one is human? Yeah, or at least capable of redemption. And there was a little bit of a hint, I think, this season that Azula maybe could have. With that beach episode. Yeah, with the beach episode. And she apologized to Ty Lee immediately when she made her cry. Like, I was like, oh, wait, what? Did you just apologize? Bro, who is this non-monster human Yeah, thing? well, I think part of it is... The the reason I mentioned the last thing we see with her is, like, I felt like they needed a moment where we saw, what is Azula doing now? I would assume she's imprisoned. I, I felt like we should have had a sense of, like, does she feel wronged or is she, like, kind of gonna take a look at herself and maybe like start doing a little bit of the same arc that Zuko had and I I thought we needed a moment like that and we we just end with her defeated because there's like no character like her within the show besides her father like no inhuman like yeah like emotionally cold yeah yeah there's nobody in this series besides maybe Sozin and even Sozin you saw in the avatar in the fire lord episode he wasn't always an asshole right and also with ozai like we you know it makes sense for ozai to be that that kind of like heartless unchanging hitler type because that's what sozin became towards the end of his life 
Well, but also, we don't spend a whole lot of time with Fire Lord or Ozai. We spend a lot of time with Azula That's in true the too. show. Yeah. And I think you're right that, like, we, you know, maybe we didn't need an arc from her. Maybe we didn't need a sense that she was redeemable. But if not, we do need some kind of, we need to know why she is the way she is. Like, we need, we needed to know more about her with the time that we had, I think. So. Yeah. The one small thing this series didn't do quite right is maybe Azula. Mm. Although a lot of her of what they do with her is is pretty good. Word. Suki, tough fighting girl, saved Sokka and Toph when... I completely forgot how they were going to be saved when Toph was hanging on for dear life by Sokka's fingertips. And I... Uh, that was it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like there was much to her character... She kind of just becomes Sokka's love interest when she's not, like, portrayed as that in the Kyoshi Warriors episode, her debut episode. Yeah. She had a couple funny moments. I think Sokka was cracking a joke at her during the Ember Island Players episode, and she was like, are you trying to get on my bad side? That was hilarious. (laughs) But other than that, she kind of just fights and is there. She's really good at fighting, though, Suki. I mean, I I think we just could have used a little more time with her. I think for the amount of time we had with Suki, like, she felt definitely a lot better than most of the one-offs. She didn't feel one note or anything. They just kind of had a hard time incorporating her, Mm -hmm. I think, which which makes sense. You know, she's not a bender, and, you know, she doesn't really have a whole lot of purpose to the overall plot. They threw her in when they could, and I think, you know, of all the characters to bring back, she's definitely one of the best ones to do that. I think more time with her would have, it would have detracted from other things. Yeah. Um, so, I agree, it's maybe, she's not quite as fleshed out as maybe she could be, but I think it's okay. Yeah. May. Never really cared for her as a character. I disliked her during the Beach episode especially, and she's moody and all that. I, I don't I mean, I know some people are into that whole type of goth, moody thing, but... I'm, I liked that they had kind of a goth character in this. Um, like, that was a fun thing to include. You know, she was a little bit of a plot device with, like, stop turning against Azula, but it felt earned. I love Zuko more than I fear you. That was a good line, but coming from her... But I bought it, too, like... I think there are situations where that might have come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and it it didn't come out of nowhere. I bought it. You have anything else on her? I I, I don't really care for her. So I I liked that she and Ty Lee. I, I think I mentioned this. Like they had a little more attention on them outside of just being like, "Aha, we're here with Azula fight scene," <laughs> which was was cool. Like I liked those fight scenes in season two, but I mm-hmm. liked that we got more with them too. Uh, do you think there's anywhere they could have put her besides with the Kyoshi Warriors? Like, she had... You mean Ty Lee? Yeah, both she and Mei had no repercussions for being with Azula all that time. I mean, Mei kind of did because she was, she was thrown in jail, wasn't she? Yeah, both of them were for a bit by Azula, but, like, they got out. Are you asking, like, do you think they deserved to, um... To have, be punished for what they yeah, did? Yeah, I'm wondering. Like, they didn't really do anything awful... But they are, you know, yeah, I guess they it is a little bit like of a uh, Nuremberg thing. I don't know. I think it's fine that they didn't. I didn't mind, you know, at that point it was just wrapping things up. It kind of made sense that, like, Ty Lee would 
go with the Kyoshi Warriors. Like, it was quick. I was like, cool. Probably solo all of them. Probably. I was fine with it. Like, Evan, it's it's uh, a minor uh, character. They had a quick little wrap-up at the end. Sure. Were Appa still MVP? Or uh, he doesn't do as much this season as in season two? Still MVP, because if, you know, after season one, they get a little more help with Toph and Zuko and some of the other people. But, you know, if they don't survive season one, none of that happens. Appa remains MVP. He talked when Aang was hallucinating. That was really weird. When they were going down the that was probably the funniest moment. When they were going down the line, all giving Aang advice on sleeping and all that, and then he was in the last line, he was like, you've got to take better care of yourself, bro. <laughs> I know, I was like, ooh, I don't know if I'm here for talking, Papa. <laughs> yep, that was it. I just had a couple other things on little characters. Um, Combustion Man was a good henchman. Oh, he was like, I'll pay you double to stop. And he just shoves it on the side. That was hilarious. Well, I, I liked that he was, like, so powerful i was like how are they gonna beat this guy and mm. you know it was maybe a little convenient with Sokka just hitting him with his boomerang but that worked you know i mean again at least they didn't have him just fall off a cliff randomly um, i mean he kind of did it was after an explosion though his okay but like was. really he got exploded <laughs> it, he wasn't he wasn't on the edge of a cliff and then it oh all of a sudden oh no but it breaks off like if that happened he'd probably just be able to turn around inhale and blow himself back upward right so i was like he was good sock and katara's father i thought was kind of generic but he's he's dead yeah he was he was kind of just lame and not lame but like he was never interesting which was like kind of fine but also like got a little annoying sometimes one thing that i will say for this show though like I think I've mentioned before, I didn't like the one-offs great, but I do appreciate that the adults in this show are real adults. It's so often that things made for kids will have just the stupidest adult characters ever. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a couple of goofy one-offs, but for the most part, the adults in this show are, they're smart. Like, they're not caricatures or whatever, or just like, weird and the kids are like you're wrong about this and they're like oh we're wrong about that huh um, <laughs> which is i i hate when they do that it's fair to say that the adults are generally not as powerful as the kids which mm-hmm. that tends to happen a, a little bit more than maybe like there's a little suspension of disbelief there but like there are powerful adult bending characters and stuff and and that like warden at the prison like they didn't pull any punches with that guy he was as ruthless of a prison warden as like other ruthless prison warden he, characters. Yeah, he tortured Chit Sang. Yeah, and they and they never like had him have a lame death or make him like a goofy one off villain. Like they gave him like respect as an adult character. Like he wasn't an adult in a kid's world. He was an adult in an adult's world. Bro, he said cut the line with everyone on the gondola. Like, mm. even the princess, he was like, cut the line! Yeah. And they were like, yo, he's still on it. He's not going to survive that. And he was like, he knows that. Come on, man. Yeah. Uh, other stuff. Momo versus Appa. <sighs> the, the samurai fight. That was kind of fun, but also, like, what again, really trippy. That, 
Bro, all right. That's it. That's all I have to say on that. I just wanted to mention it. Uh, sure. That's Rough Buddy. <laughs> he was like, my first girlfriend turned into the moon. And all Zuko could say was, that's Rough Buddy. That that's that's like one of the three lines constantly quoted whenever Avatar is mentioned across the internet. People find that line so hilarious. Uh, I did at first as well. It's still funny. I just don't. It's just laugh overused. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. I just okay. don't laugh out loud every time I, I see it. I kind of feel for Zuko in that moment. Like, what, what in the hell? are you supposed to say to somebody that tells you they're girl and in a world like that that's you know i feel like he believed it like you you have to kind of believe that with all these spirits and people controlling the elements and stuff but mm-hmm. somebody in he real was life also there it. for it oh yeah kind of kind a little bit like imagine somebody in real world said that to you, you somebody said that you'd be like yo you you good like you, you yeah or something like you got <laughs> what the hell are you supposed to say to that yeah, yeah my first yeah they were talking about girlfriends he said oh that one gloomy chick that size a lot he's like yeah that's <laughs> that size a lot yeah. i love how that's how they summarize goth <laughs> like yeah. the goth stereotype of the show is oh that person that size a lot <laughs> <laughs> i mean he was like my first girlfriend turned into the moon like there's i don't i feel like that was the most appropriate line there because he's zuko's trying to relate to him mm-hmm. in that moment like they're having a heart to heart about females and yeah what else do you like ah that sucks dude that that would be another line to say right there that, that sucks dude but that that's rough buddy uh all right how the hell did the ember island playwright know all that stuff that happened to them they said from a questionable source and then that was the last thing they mentioned and then they got on with the play he got most of they also mentioned that they shout out the cabbage guy and that they're like in a surprisingly knowledgeable cabbage guy i i I liked that they did that i weirdly enjoyed the cabbage guy throughout the show that seemed like the kind of thing that would annoy me I, like if it hadn't been recurring i would have forgotten about it but then it's like every time it's like oh my cabbages and then you see it, it's like oh here it goes <laughs> hey it's <laughs> that cabbage guy say hey hey say the line in anime this is known as like a recap episode where they show nothing new like they just rehash and show old clips from mm-hmm. stuff that has already aired in the previous episodes like normally halfway through a season they'll do something like this and it's like oh damn it's the recap episode so now we just gotta gotta wait till next week but their clever spin on it kind of caught everyone up to where they were in the show besides you know the ending of course where azula and the fire lord win but what what'd you think of the episode i was expecting not to like it but i kind of thought that play was good like it showed kind of the caricatures of them and it's it kind of makes you appreciate that they do have nuance Mm -hmm. with these characters because when you see like their caricatured versions it's like yeah they they aren't just that my name's tough because it sounds like tough (laughs) yeah i i also really enjoyed like their mostly um katara and ang's actors in that how ang's actor is just like (laughs) that perfectly generic over-the-top theater kid who's like yeah also katara's actress is like the if it had been a musical you know like she would have had the big song in that yeah i appreciated that i thought it was fun because you see those types of actors in plays all the time that are just like a little too into it in a way that's not believable one of my favorite 
lines delivered like the way it was delivered by the actor was um father the the avatar and zuko are on the way they're trying to stop you <laughs> oh yeah with the that was the super was yeah. actress right oh uh, yeah. bro yeah i really like that the, besides the whole ang and katara jealousy thing like that episodes i didn't realize that was the episode before the finale once i saw the list of episodes i was like oh wait the ember island players of the last i thought it was me before that but hilarious they were kind of it's like kind of like the writers making fun of themselves as well yeah now the final thing i have to say or ask you and we'll get into the lessons right after did the ending feel complete for me it felt like i felt like it was a really satisfying ending it was never like the show like from the real life point of view was never canceled or discontinued it feels like they had what they needed to complete the show in its entirety it felt like it never overstayed its welcome like oh we still gotta fight we couldn't beat the fire lord during sozin's comment so now we got a whole another six seasons to go it felt like it had been written from start to finish uh since the beginning pretty much like it felt like they had this whole show mapped out before they even got it on the air except the lion turtle spirit bending thing for me personally it did not feel like that was planned maybe they had originally made it so ang was supposed to kill the fire lord but it was like we can't do that for a kid show maybe the network stepped in and they were like yo you can't do that for a kid show i could see that happening yeah Yeah. but really solid show overall for me what about you fully agree like i i don't think it should have gone longer Except, like, I would have maybe taken a little bit more, two more scenes for the denouement. But for the most part, yeah, it did what it needed to do. And then, you know, I don't think we should have had a tease of like, oh, maybe this other thing is going to happen. No, well, I think Well, they it was did good to... a little bit with the mother thing. Where is my mother? That continues in the comics, though. They have, they have comics. I have a whole bunch of them on my watch later on YouTube because I actually don't know what happens in the comics. I think Azula gets out. No, 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 no. They they explain what happened during the Azula versus Suki fight scene. I think during one of them. Okay. Well, in any case, to answer your question, I think it did feel complete, mm-hmm. and mostly because like it felt earned. Like I was talking about at the beginning with Ang's conflict of whether to kill Sozin or not. That felt like the thing that this was all leading up to, and they did that. Mm-hmm. So more would have been forced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did feel, felt earned, like, it was a really, like, this was really good, especially for a kid's show. I imagine it would have that much more, like, I know it has a lot of fans now, but I imagine it'd have that much more, like, impact on the world of any show if it were, like, the more adult version, like you were thinking. It might not have been as popular because a lot of us, a lot of the fans saw it as children and we were like, whoa, it's coming to Netflix? Oh, we gotta rewatch that. That's what every yeah. fan was saying. That had seen it before. But if it was that adult show, I I don't know how well it would have done as far as the fans go. But as far as like storytelling, I felt like it could do a lot, lot more if it was like that. Not necessarily mature, but like made for teens or something like that. But really just freaking fantastic. Agree. Okay, so... Um, just to wrap this up, since we did this whole series, um, I wanted to do the same thing we did with Pirates and take a look at lessons we're going to take from the whole series. 
Hey guys, do you like us as people? Then subscribe to our Patreon where you'll hear us talk about the Spider-Man trilogy and movies we might not like as much. Yeah, for $1 a month you can hear a bonus episode. And for $3 a month, you can see our notes on all of our regular episodes. I had 17 pages worth of notes on Gone Girl. So if that is of interest to you, that is available. You see our live reactions to movies we might not have ever seen before. Like, I have some stuff on there where I'm like, well, why the hell did this happen here? And why, why did this guy do this over there? And you can just show your support. You can have access to our Discord server where you can request movies for us to do in the future or just, you know, give us your feedback. And you can be part of the interior analysis community for just $1 a month. And now back to the episode. Agree. Okay, so um, just to wrap this up, since we did this whole series um i wanted to do the same thing we did with pirates and take a look at lessons we're going to take from the whole series i threw in like life lessons and writing lessons for this one pirates we agreed there was not a lot of life lessons to take from that don't be a pirate or be a pirate i don't know (laughs) like (laughs) they don't know either (laughs) they don't know either so i'll start with a couple life lessons because there's less of those i think i don't know about life lessons but like good thematic philosophies Mm mm-hmm First one, working on yourself, developing skills, processing emotions, and, like, working out interpersonal conflicts can be a heroic act. That feels like a theme of the show. Oh, that's, um, that's good. I, I kind of felt that throughout it. Um, that's also kind of, like, the way I'm viewing Inception at this stage. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, a, that's a thing that I think plays into Harry Potter also. Life lesson two, be a badass. Just be no, tough. Yeah, I was just going to say, just be tough. Everybody just be, be tough. tough. Don't blind yourself, but... Um, be a melon lord. Be a melon lord. Be a cool earthbender. Next one. Little things are not little. And, like, doing good in smaller daily situations can lead to bigger change over time. I, I felt that when I was watching, like, the beginning of this season, because I was like, ah, I don't want filler anymore. I want big plot things. And then they had those couple episodes where they did kind of back to, like, the season one roots of it, where they were like, this village is in trouble, let's help them at first i was frustrated but then i was like you know that's kind of a good that's a good thing for them to to do it's not just like we have this greater good that we're working toward because i think a lot of series get lost in that Mm -hmm. and that's like a very true to life thing of like we don't have time to deal with that we have bigger things to worry about well maybe they're not as big as you think and also like i i liked also the way they some of like the little things that they did before would come back later in the invasion episode where they had like the best of avatar characters with like that group of one-offs that they fought with that was kind of like you know the good things they had done for those villages kind of came back and mm. came and full the swamp circle. people the, and yeah yeah that was kind of a theme sort of tied in with that big picture things and situational things are both important i think you felt that most in the painted lady one where it was like we need to help these people now mm-hmm but also, like Sokka saying, you know, our main responsibility is get there and beat the Fire Lord, because if not, like, we can't waste our time doing that. And again, like, I think that's a day-to-day conflict that the world kind of faces, or it feels like we face living in a very global world. Last two, walk toward things that revolve around you. 
that's kind of the theme of this with Aang, like facing the Fire Lord and being really afraid of it. He still does it. It's not like simplistic, but it's not like super nuanced. It still is a resonant theme, though. And that was a good thing. Last one, I think this is maybe the thing that the show posits more than anything else, is that you are what you do. You're not what happens to you. That's kind of the contrast they have with Zuko and Azula. So those were like, I thought the show had some really good themes in it. So I kind of wanted to call out the big ones, or at least the like thematic messages it seemed to have textually in it. Writing lessons. There's a lot more of these, I think. I'll try to run through them quickly, but I want to give voice to several of them. First one, if you have space, use it to include nuance for your characters. And if you can, give supporting characters attention, not at the expense of your protagonist, but acknowledge it. I thought this show did a really, really good job with that. Because sometimes, like, I think I've mentioned this about the MCU, I get frustrated with how much time we spend with these characters and then also how little we know about them. Mm. I thought this show used its time really well with, like how good it does with its characters like we get a lot of nuance for everyone Mm. building on that next lesson acknowledge your character's emotions and give time to them sometimes you don't necessarily need to like have that episode where Sokka does his training up with uh the sword master or Katara goes and takes revenge on her mother's killer or tries to like those aren't necessary but they absolutely add. Mm. And I think a lot of times you may not necessarily have space to do that, but when you do, I think it's good to use that. Kind of a thing that's more exclusive to TV shows because movies tend to not have time to do that, but still something I thought this show was really good at. Um, Give each character a valid perspective, either thematic or strategic. That, I thought, was one of the best things about this season where, like, They would start off the episode with some conflict and one character would be like, I don't think this is the best idea. And the other one's like, well, no, maybe we should do it for this reason. And there were several times where I was like, I don't know where this is going. Like either of them could be right. And that made for some really good drama. The runaway was one that had that, but, and sometimes it was like, this way of doing things is like morally wrong. This way is right. And they have like a thematic issue with it and sometimes it's just like practical like should we go this way should we wait on whatever i wish i was thinking of an exact example but either one of those things were they added a lot to the show next one make your one-offs interesting if you can it's not necessary but that's like my only real gripe with this show is that i did not enjoy the one-off characters it absolutely didn't need to have that but it just if it could have i wish it had that's maybe not like the biggest lesson to take but i i still feel like that is something that's worth noting shout out to that uh fire priest that let ang in during season one the solstice thing Mm -hmm. yeah because he never comes back he maybe is the best one-off that never comes back Mm -hmm. uh next one detailed world building is not essential but it can make your story much better We've talked already about how good the world building on this show is. I was trying to come up with a better one, but I was just like, make your world building good. I got one. So my thing 
normally in my stories is to show everything from the beginning so nothing is a surprise or unbelievable by the time you get to whatever that unbelievable thing might be. So if you have like a world of superheroes and then you say something like, oh, but everybody's a dragon now. They all have a dragon gene. It's like, wait, what? What does that have to do with science fiction? That's more fantasy. I mean, that can still kind of cross over if you explain it correctly. But like, I normally try to show everything from the beginning, like I said, so nothing is like a big buy or hard to believe by the time I get to some another element of the story. But the show pulled off slow world building somehow, and I'm still trying to figure out how. Like, at some point, they said, hey, you know how people can control the elements? Well, now there's a whole spirit world. And we were like, yeah, cool. All right. I believe it. I think maybe this wasn't going to be a, a lesson, but I, I think maybe this is a lesson to take for world building. Maybe it's just like know the limits of your world because I think the limitations are something that play into it. Like mm. we have the spirit world. I, I felt this with the painted lady episode because, you know, you have Katara helping the villagers as the painted lady, but just hypothetically say like that episode, it turned out there really was like the painted lady was a spirit. Mm -hmm. I think that would have felt inconsistent because that's not how spirits have worked up to that point in the show. So I'm not exactly sure what to take away from that, but I, I think there is something that they're doing in the world building that causes that feeling of like, if there had been a real spirit at work there, that would have been wrong. I think it's the fact that it's not set in the real world. You can tell it's not set in the real world. You can tell it's fantasy. Because one of the first creatures you see is a giant flying bison with tattoos and six legs. Yeah, but like we've said, you know, it can get fantastical, but that doesn't mean everything is fair game in this world. Right. So... I, th I think my lesson for this maybe is like just know the limits of your world yeah don't <laughs> I, I i don't know i uh, i i'm i i'm show just such a good job with world building i'm i'm um, just imagining and, and i still need to figure out how but like i'm just imagining like at the end, with the, the Fire Lord and Aang squaring off, like, what if Aang just pulled out a, a gun and was like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's an example of not good world building. You have never seen any type the of... tables have turned. ...firearm. <laughs> it was like, call the ambulance, but not for me. <laughs> uh... oh, that's like the Monty Python ending. <laughs> <laughs> The police suddenly show up during the fight. All right, oh, let's break this yeah, up, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the Holy uh, Grail movie, right? I have to. Yeah. I haven't seen that in its entirety, but that looks hilarious. Yeah, that's bad world building. Don't if you're in a fantasy world, don't have at, at the end when nobody's using a gun. Like you can have guns in your fantasy world, but if nobody has used a gun or even mentioned the word gun throughout the entire series, and then the protagonist, the monk protagonist, pulls out a blicky on the villain of the series it is like yo that's it you done with your fire and i'm gonna kneecap you like that that yeah but i, I want to talk about the ending for a second with this because what ang does like taking away the fire lord's bending powers that wasn't something that we knew could happen but yet it was it believable. feels like it could yeah the spirit bending 
So, like, there is something in the world building there where, like, there's a limitation that we just feel for mm. some reason. Oh, you maybe, know maybe... why the, the spirit world worked? Because the whole avatar thing, the generational thing, the, the, they were all spirits, you know, the past lives and all that. And then, you know, there's a whole spirit world beyond that. That's why I talked to Roku. That's why it worked. I just figured that out. Sorry, go ahead. I No, I, that's a good lesson for it like like those elements feel like they i i think it it makes sense like you tie those elements together it's not like the avatar exists the spirit world exists they're not yeah they're not separate they kind of justify Mm -hmm. each other a little bit the avatar exists because spirits work in this way maybe i guess it just it feels so instinctual like it's so hard to point to something and say that's why i believe that ang could have taken away the fire lord's powers i don't feel like there's any moment or element that indicates like oh this could happen it's just it's just kind of a feeling Mm -hmm. whatever they did it worked and they get more into spirit bending in Korra, i believe we should i think we should watch that for the podcast especially since neither of us have seen it in its entirety but i think we're gonna take a break from avatar for a bit yeah i think that'd be good Mm -hmm. um my world building lesson, I guess, based on everything else we said, this wasn't one I had written down, but I'm just going to run with it. Know your world, know the limitations of it. Spend time figuring those out because clearly they did that here. I wish there was a more concrete one I could come up with because I think there is something they're doing, but I, I don't know what it is. You also might want to know where everything is in the world. Like if your world does not look like ours, build a map of some sort mm. or at least no i'm doing that now with one of my fantasy series i'm trying to figure out how many towns there are how many regions there are where each region lies in comparison to the other like they mentioned something about maybe the the southern water tribe or the some air temple or something and then i was like wait why can't they just go back and i was like wait oh there's probably really far apart like on opposite sides of the world and that would take a long time especially if Apple is flying so yeah um yeah I, I hadn't thought of geography but I think in I don't think that's a rule that you need for every like fantasy world no, but if not it's something of this size yeah. then absolutely you, you need to know if your the geography characters are traveling the damn world you should know what the world looks like and that's actually a staple in shonen as well like at some point they'll show what the map of their world looks like and it's normally never like our world. Okay, yeah. Other, this is sort of like world building. Kind of more action lesson, though. Use powers and weapons mm-hmm. in interesting char- character-specific mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. in your action scenes. That was just such a triumph of this show. Like, mm-hmm. watching the bending fights. Like, they had new strategies that came up every like almost every fight there was a new strategy again it felt consistent i don't know how but they pulled it off like can you imagine if it was like marvel where everybody is just fist fighting each other instead of using oh that would have been so lame and like fast camera cuts and oh that would have sucked but one thing i was thinking of um in like the last couple episodes like i would be interested to see just like a little test run if you had like a bunch of action directors like take a crack at one scene like i bet it would be very weird but for some reason the first director i thought of was like what does a Zack snyder avatar bending fight look like Mm. i don't know if i'd like it but he seems like someone who would 
want to try that. Mm-hmm. A lot of slow motion. A lot of slow motion. A lot of slow motion. Oh, there'd be way too much slow motion if it was Zack Snyder. And Matthew Vaughn. And it wouldn't be as colorful. This is a lot of slow motion. It'd be like grayish It would blue. be colorful in a different way. Yeah. I, I don't know what a Chris Nolan action scene would look like. He would never do it, for one thing, because it would require too much CGI. So him trying to do practical effects on a bending fight would be interesting. Have you ever seen uh, The Raid? I haven't. I've been wanting to. I know uh, that's like a really good gotta, action movie. Uh, I'm, I'm imagining, I don't remember the... I don't know if it was the same director, but the fight choreography from, the, from those movies is insane. It's like John Wick, but even better somehow. Like John Wick, nor- normally. I wasn't thinking. I, I want to see uh, John, whoever the John Wick director, Chad Stahelski. I want to say. Yeah. Um, if he directed this, that might be a cool bending fight scene. Um, like that. But the raid, the the way. First of all, they even the hand to hand is interesting. But when you get to the raid too, where they're using guns and knives and bats and stuff, the way they're using each of those weapons so differently but efficiently and brutally and oh bro you gotta we might need to add that to the list you gotta watch the raid man i would be interested to see that i've heard those are good because i i would love to see something like that with with powers and and avatar where it's just like i'm gonna counteract this yeah i'm gonna grab this fire flame and smack you with it yeah yeah i i would i would be interested to see like David Fincher doesn't do action movies. I'd like to see a David Fincher action scene with this, though. I bet, I bet that would be interesting. What movies has he directed? Again, I always get him and Aaron Sorkin confused. Well, they collaborated on the Social Network. Aaron Sorkin's a writer. David Fincher's a director. Got it. Uh, Fincher, he does Seven, Fight Club, Gone Girl. He's like one of my so favorites. They, I think he's one of the best directors. Work. They probably me. just, they probably just talk if it was Fincher. Just be like, why are we doing this, Fire Lord? Well. There's there's several reasons as to why I'm doing has, this Aang, the Avatar. He has a cool visual style. <laughs> Fincher does. Oh my god, Aaron Sorkin with a fight scene. You know, back in, he'd have them like <laughs> oh quoting god. quoting facts all the time. You know, Leonardo da Vinci. You know, fire, fire, who the hell is Leonardo da Vinci? was created back then. Oh my god. This move, this move dates stu- back to Avatar Leo. <laughs> that's, that's a Sorkin fight scene though. Edgar Wright add that to the list for oh yeah that'd be who would good. be cool that would be cool i'm gonna hit you with this strike right here oh no you're not <laughs> set to um some like 70s yeah rock song that would oh i now i really want an edgar wright bending scene um, uh, oh you know what would happen if like toff were using metal bending you know how to metal bend oh yeah like since then <laughs> and then it'd be like a whip cut oh shit <laughs> that's, an Ed- that's like an Edgar Wright bending scene. Yo, Toph, why don't you just use real metal bending? Michael oh, Sarah, shit, yeah. Michael Sarah's Ang. <laughs> metal bending's a thing. No clue. Gets it. <laughs> anyway, other lessons. Know your medium. Use the structure of your medium to your advantage. Yeah. Like, this show does a really good job using its identity as an animated show, a kid show, mm-hmm. an episodic show, like all of those things, it fits itself into that really well. Yep. Where they're like taking advantage of that it's animated. So they're doing all these really cool bending things and that it's a kid show. So they like, they don't have a kid show limited. They let that kind of play into some of the themes of it, play into like the emotions of the characters, but they also never take it too far in terms of like, there aren't, many deaths in this show at least not like big traumatic ones Mm -hmm. 
and like being episodic they do a good job of like you know having a good thematic argument with it having the episodes kind of build a little bit on each other but they're also like i think you've used the term anthology also like the amount of space they had they use their space of like 20 episodes really well so like know how much time you have whether it's a movie a book or a tv show or a short something like that Mm -hmm. also this was a lesson i had for pirates also but make your villains powerful make them hard to beat Mm -hmm. that was very true for this the fire lord is not easy to beat azul is not easy to beat combustion man is not easy to beat but they also don't die in lame ways or not die i mean defeated combustion man yeah, they're not defeated in lame ways. Yo, they're defeat like defeating them is really, really hard. The Fire Lord felt like a Dragon Ball Z villain, bro. He was when he initially started burning the land. I was like, yo, we have never seen fire bending on this level before. Mm-hmm. Maybe, possibly from Iroh, but Iroh even never. I never seen him. He do would that never like take that. it that far. Yeah, like this man was straight up burning land from his ship. Do you know how? high up he was and how powerful that fire needs to be in order to first of all just reach the land second completely burn it to ashes from up bro you know yeah i don't even know if we have like a like the level of technology to like make that powerful of a flamethrower right in present day that is pretty insane but like yeah make your villain that powerful if you if you can Mm -hmm. if you can pull it off like don't make them so powerful necessarily that they can't be defeated but if you can like the best case scenario is make them insanely powerful but also beat them in a way that doesn't diminish that power Mm -hmm. the kraken the kraken next lesson have a good balance of things like this show did a good job of it like it kind of alternated through episodes like it would go one episode would have backstory one would have like a character conflict with just the main trio then the next one would be like a big action heavy episode but they were never it was never like too much all in a row of anything Mm -hmm. and like balance out other things too. balance victory and defeat if you can balance out like fun and humorous stuff with conflict and things that are like kind of heavier again like there's a tactical way to do it like sometimes they don't gel great but like have both of them for sure if you can have there be like inner character conflict but also have catharsis where you know zuko and iroh are fighting for a while but they have moments where they are like i need you both of them Mm -hmm. but then there's some episodes where they split up so like having both of that it, it really adds it makes it less predictable and more engaging i thought that was um good and like tie those things together when you can like you can't necessarily have like an extra an episode that's like just conflict or just like character moments like if you can do both at once that's a good thing like that was part of why my like one of my favorites was the invasion part one the eclipse one Mm -hmm. because that had like great action but also really great character stuff and like some things worked with it it wasn't like all oh we're winning we're winning we're winning but it also wasn't we're losing everything like there was a little of everything there was a good balance in that one Mm -hmm. next one i don't know if there's like a good writing takeaway but make the journey and the destination rewarding for your audience and recently i've really been appreciating how hard that is to do like this show pulls it off but two big examples that only do one like the mcu i I think some people would say the mcu has a good ride and a good ending 
I really liked how like the climax of Endgame, but asks me to like watch any given Marvel movie, and I'm like, eh, fine. Like I don't really care. Like I don't want to see Ant Man because I know that's like I guess necessary to get him in there, but I know that watching ant-man is not gonna be any more rewarding than watching any other Mm -hmm. mcu movie the thing with that is you know it's fine the journey up to endgame i didn't think was that great for most of it there it has its moments but like endgame is awesome at the end so we got one and not the other and then the inverse of that is with game of thrones ask me to watch any episode of game of thrones i'm like yeah i know i'm gonna get something cool out of this but then it kind of didn't deliver at least the show didn't we're still waiting on books yeah so that was something where it's like the journey up to the ending was just so amazing and then it didn't quite deliver i'm really starting to appreciate recently how difficult it is to do both of those things to have like your characters be acting in ways that they normally would like that are you know true to them and who they are as characters but also be building to something meaningful Mm -hmm. and i think maybe part of why this show is able to do that is because the fire lord is just kind of a destination there's not a lot of checkpoints it's just kind of like ang has to learn bending uh, and bending this element now he has to learn bending this element and then like the conflicts that come it's not as if they have to like we have to do this, and then we have to do this, and then we have to do this before you defeat the Fire Lord, like, as, like, checkpoint things that will, like, weaken the Fire Lord or something like that. It's, you know, there's no, like, checkpoint MacGuffin, whatever. Because a lot of stories, I think, they have those things where it's like, we have to get the plot here so that we can get it to there. I think they did a good job of stripping that down and being like, Aang has to fight the Fire Lord. That's on the horizon. So maybe that's a lesson there too it's just a very difficult thing to do and i'm impressed that this show did it and last lesson if moments are earned it is okay if they are predictable not all of my predictions were correct but you know i predicted that zuko would come and join the group eventually it's pretty predictable that ang is going to defeat the fire lord and that zuko is going to turn in some way and that ang and katara are probably going to get together by the end so, like, we all know that all of those things are going to happen, but when they do, we're like, yes, it's time. The show has earned this moment. So it's fine that, like, it's doing what what is expected because it earned it. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe one of the biggest lessons I'm taking from this. The, not to say that there weren't surprises in this show, because there were, but... I think sometimes there is a little bit of an overemphasis sometimes on being like, I don't want to do the expected thing. Like, I want my audience to be shocked at this big reveal. And that can be tempting, and sometimes that is what you want. Like, there are great stories that do that, but I don't think that should necessarily be done with those twisty things at the expense of, like, doing something that that gives the story more meaning. Like, say Aang didn't defeat the Fire Lord. And, and it ended tragically. I know that wouldn't have happened, but let's just say it it did. That would have been like, oh, I expected it to happen and it didn't. I'm so surprised. That doesn't give that much more meaning to the rest of the show, though. Like, it really does give it a lot of meaning that he does win. Like, you can't end the show without him defeating the Fire Lord. 
the point of it is that he had to do all of this so he was ready to. Yes. That kind of is a big lesson, I think. Make things earned instead of unpredictable. But unpredictable's fine. Yeah. Did you have, those are all of my lessons. Did you have any nope. you wanted to add? Nope. I just have my little world building tidbit and and that's it. Be be good at writing. That's that's it. <sighs> God, I wish it was that simple. It is not. Be good. Um <laughs> be great. Actually, I'm going to add on one more lesson. Know your characters. I don't think there's a single moment in this show where a character does something and I'm like, they wouldn't do that. Yeah. That maybe is the guiding forces. Like, these writers know their characters really well. Yeah. If that's all, is that all? That's all. Okay. I have one last little thing. How many yip yips do you think there are in the series total? At least two. You are correct, but take an exact guess i have an estimate i don't know if it's totally correct but it's give or take one 15 14 by my count so you might actually be correct there um i may have slightly miscounted but i wrote it down every every time i wrote it down every time i said it and then i decided like since i had that i could i would count it up i did write it down every time they said it though what the hell all right (laughs) I was close. You were, I was surprised that you were that close. I don't think I would have guessed that. Yeah. Yeah, so, boilerplate, um, because we have spent a long time on this. But again, like, I loved this show. It's a a lot. But, you know, this is a great show. Again, thank you for picking this. Oh, you're welcome. I knew you'd enjoy it. I was expecting to, but Mm -hmm. I was not expecting to in this to be the, like, of the two series that we have just now finished doing. I was not expecting this to be the one that I came out liking more, but Wait, it is. what was the other one? Pirates. So, next episodes, my next pick is going to be The Devil Wears Prada, and then after that, I believe we're doing Circle. Yep. That's your next pick, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, no idea what that's about. Um, oh, and... you're gonna, either gonna love it or hate I'm... it. I'm interested. I'm trying to not look anything up on it so I can go into it clean, but I'm interested to see what it is because I know nothing about it. Our logo's by Kelsey Hendry. We have a Patreon now. There will be a link in the show notes, but there's bonus content on there. Patreon! At the very least, there will probably be more than this by the time we get it up, but as of recording this, there are at least like notes that I have for each episode and a few annotated scripts if you want to look at that. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be doing like bonus episodes on there. Support us on there. We will make it worth your money and your time. Like us on Facebook, subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Views um, be important. A good people. one, preferably. Yeah. But, you know, be honest. If you're honest, it'll be a good review. How about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah let's yeah. run with that. Follow us on Twitter at intanalysis18. You can follow me at Davos Watson on Twitter. You can follow your boy at Jelani T. Kelly on Twitter, uh, Instagram-based Phoenix, and Twitch, uh, J-based Phoenix, and my YouTube is also based Phoenix as well. I post skits yep. on my YouTube channel, so those are funny and weird. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, and also, we have a YouTube channel for this show also. Oh, yeah. Uh, so far, only one video on A Star is Born, Star but is there born. are more coming. And let us know, like, what ones you want us to do videos for. 
or podcasts, but like if there's something that you really liked our episode on that you want to see like a video, we can we can work on that because uh, there will be more coming. Chat with your boys. Yep. So if that's all, we will see you next episode. Yep. 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 Yep.